0: and welcome to Pursuing Health. I'm Dr. Julie Fouché-Arcuyo, family medicine resident and former CrossFit Games athlete. Here, my husband, Dr. Danny, and I bring you information and inspiration to help bridge the gap between fitness and medicine and support your journey toward your healthiest self. This episode is one of our Pursuing Health pearls. In medicine, we refer to clinical pearls as small bits of freestanding information relevant to clinical practice, usually based on experience. Pursuing Health Pearls are short 10 to 15 minute episodes in which Danny and I offer you succinct high yield info on common health conditions, spanning both conventional and alternative approaches. We do want to make it clear that this podcast is for general information only and does not provide medical advice. We recommend that you seek assistance from your personal physician for any health conditions or concerns. With that, let's get started with this week's episode you may have noticed that we've moved away from having sponsors on the podcast. This was an intentional decision and one that Danny and I thought long and hard about. As we begin our careers as family physicians, we feel very strongly about our responsibility to remain as unbiased as possible in order to foster trust with our community and our future patients. Therefore, we've made the decision not to accept any sponsorship or endorsement compensation from industry from this point forward. That being said, in order to continue to produce great content for you here and on our new website, pursuing-health.com, we've created a subscription model. Almost all of the podcast content will remain completely free, but we will offer some additional benefits for subscribers with the goal of getting back far more than you give. For less than the cost of a latte each month, subscribers will benefit from exclusive discount codes. We want you to continue to benefit from our unfiltered opinion about products and services on the market without you wondering whether we're receiving compensation behind the scenes. So, rather than receiving endorsement or sponsorship compensation from companies ourselves, we're asking that those companies that we love, trust, and use ourselves provide an exclusive discount code to our subscribers. This will allow companies to pass along the value of our endorsement to you all without you having to wonder whether we're talking about them just because we're getting paid. We already have a great lineup of discounts and will only continue to add to this list as time goes on. It is our hope that if you use even one or two of these codes, your subscription should pay for itself. Subscribers will also benefit from the opportunity to contribute questions and listen to periodic exclusive Ask Us Anything podcast episodes with both Danny and I. Finally, subscribers will gain access to our morning five sessions, five-minute movement sessions created to jumpstart your day, as well as our other online training programs, depending on your monthly contribution. In addition to our longstanding Train with Julie Foucher program designed for more experienced athletes, we've also created Train for Life, a 30-minute, five-day-per-week program that can be done with minimal equipment at home or on the go. So if you listen to Pursuing Health and have found the podcast to have positively impacted your life in some way, it would mean a lot to us if you would consider subscribing at pursuing-health.com forward slash subscribe. Again, that's pursuing-health.com forward slash subscribe. Welcome to our very first episode of Pursuing Health Pearls. We are very excited to be here with you. I have Danny with me today. Hello, hello. And we are going to talk about a topic which seems to be the hot topic these days, and that is coronavirus. So we thought, what better way to start off the Pursuing Health Pearls? Um, we're going to talk about this newly discovered respiratory virus. It's important to note before we get into the details that we are still learning about this virus every single day. So we're recording today on March 7th. By the time we post this podcast, there will even be more information available and we're learning more day to day and week to week. So please keep that in mind. Um, But we wanted to give you some credible information so that you can be smart about the way that you're approaching this and try to prevent the spread on a more global scale. All of our information is gathered from the CDC and the WHO, and we recommend those as reliable sources to get your information about the spread of this virus or from your state or local health department, um, because I think having accurate information is very important. Um, So first, we're just going to talk some numbers. We're going to talk about how big this problem really is, and we'll try to put it into context for you with some other public health concerns. And then we'll get into the details about what exactly the coronavirus is, how it's transmitted, who's at highest risk, and then what we can do to decrease our risk, or what you should do if you think you might be infected. So we'll dive in here. First, let's just talk about how big of a problem this is on a global scale. So we know right now, this is March 7th again, that there are over 100,000 reported cases of the coronavirus, which the formal name is COVID-19 across the world. So over 100,000 cases across the world, and there are about 3,500 deaths. So that means there's about a 3.4% case fatality rate or a 3.4% death rate from this virus, meaning that if you'd basically divide the number of deaths by the number of people we know are reported cases, that's our death rate. But it's still early. And so there's a lot of of speculation that we may be missing a lot of the more mild cases in that bottom number in that denominator. And that once we get a more accurate representation of who's infected, that death rate may actually go down quite a bit. So let's just compare this to some of the other coronavirus outbreaks that have happened over the past couple of decades. So The two probably that you've heard of before are SARS and MERS. So SARS, the major outbreak was back in 2002. Um, There, there were about 8,000 cases and a 9.6% fatality rate. So again, many fewer cases, but the fatality rate was a little bit higher. And then we had the MERS outbreak in 2012. Both of these are different types of coronaviruses, but the MERS outbreak had about 2,500 cases and a much higher fatality rate, so a 34.4% fatality rate. So, so far, what we know is that COVID-19 is already much more widespread than both of these coronaviruses, but it seems to have a lower death rate as early as we are, and hopefully, it will actually be a much lower death rate in the end, too, once we get more data. So, Danny, let's talk a little bit more about comparing COVID-19 to one of our more common respiratory viruses that we encounter every year, which is influenza.
1: Right. So, before we do that, let's talk a little bit about how many cases are actually in the United States to give us some context. So, that's what most of us are concerned about as we go out about in our lives here in our community. Are we going to get this virus and do we have to be concerned about it. So overall in the United States there's 164 cases and about 11 deaths at this point. Again this all this is changing as the day goes by as days goes by so that those numbers may change quite a bit with the majority of the cases actually being in Washington and California. Now comparing this to the flu the flu has up to now, so we're not all the way through flu season quite yet, but to date the estimated number of cases of flu are thirty two million. So quite a large number. Wow. This is just in the,
0: more cases than And This 164. is just in the United States. Exactly. <laughs>
1: this is just in the United States and eighteen thousand deaths. So put that in the context, compare that to the coronavirus, which has had thirty five hundred deaths. Of course, every single death matters. That's not mm-hmm. what I'm saying. But you know, looking at it comparing between the coronavirus and the flu virus, a lot more folks have died from the flu virus up to now.
0: But well, we do note that the flu, if you look at those percentages, the death rate of the flu is very low mm-hmm. relatively. It's point one percent, versus right now the coronavirus seems to be three point four percent. But right. again as this pans out and we are able to catch the more mild cases and see how widespread the infection really is, it's very possible that the coronavirus could have a lower death rate. Um, it's hard to say at this point. Right, really. and with the flu, we've Where had multiple
1: seasons, we know exactly how the virus behaves, so it's a little bit easier to make estimates than with this this exactly. brand new virus.
0: But putting things into context, like if the flu was just starting and it was reaching this magnitude, mm-hmm. maybe you think people would be thinking differently right. about protecting themselves, getting their flu shots, Staying home from work when they're sick, all those good things. So Very true. All right. So right now, immediate risk of infection is very low in the U.S. Um, now, talking about comparing this to other public health concerns. So I think it's really interesting to make the comparison between these viruses and chronic disease because viruses seem to raise a lot of alarm because their spread happens very quickly, right? Like this started... I don't know. I didn't look up exactly when this started, but a couple of months ago when it started in China. And now you can see it on the map spreading into the US, into Europe, into different countries. And day by day, week by week, you can see those different countries light up on the map as they get more cases. But for chronic disease, it's actually a very slow progression where this can take decades to develop. And it's also not something where you necessarily are feeling symptoms right away. It's not like you wake up and all of a sudden you have a fever and a cough. You know, it's years and decades. And then all of a sudden you're having a heart attack or you're having a stroke. So putting it in context to um, the magnitude of the problem of chronic disease, I think is also very interesting because chronic disease is killing many more people and affecting many more people than these viruses, but we often don't have the same sense of concern or urgency when we're talking about them. So just putting this into context, um, some of the chronic diseases are, and when we talk about chronic disease, we talk about things that are Generally, progressive through life, unless you make a dramatic lifestyle change, but they are diseases that are rooted in our lifestyle. So, there are things that can be reversed if we make the appropriate lifestyle changes. So, things like diabetes, heart disease, chronic lung and kidney disease, cancer, stroke, and Alzheimer's disease are some examples. And just to give you some numbers so that we can compare to coronavirus right now, every year in the US, 859,000 people die of heart disease and stroke. That is a huge number of people. That is getting close to a million people every year in the US dying. That's a third of all the deaths that happen every year are due to these chronic diseases. And I, I, you can kind of think about heart disease and stroke as sort of that final manifestation of a lot of these chronic diseases. The diabetes, the metabolic syndrome, the high blood pressure, high cholesterol, fatty liver, all of those things probably are not necessarily going to end up in killing the person, but it's going to be the heart attack or the stroke, um, which is the final manifestation. So it's a huge number compared to right now, 164 or sorry, 11 deaths of the coronavirus so far in the U.S. this year. We've got 859,000 people dying of heart disease and stroke this year. Um, Talking about it in terms of cancer, we have 1.6 million people diagnosed with cancer every year and 600,000 people dying from it. So again, a huge number of people dying and many, many more people being affected. On a, on a larger scale, looking back at sort of the precursors for these ultimate manifestations that result in death, diabetes. So 30 million people or 30 million adults right now in the US have diabetes. That's a huge number of people. So just comparing it to coronavirus, um, obviously there's many, many more people being affected and many, many more deaths um, at this point in time. I think it's interesting, too, to think about, as you're looking at the maps of coronavirus spread, it makes me think about those maps of obesity spread. Do you Mm -hmm. remember in medical school, we saw these maps, I feel like, in every single lecture where it's a map of the U.S. and they show prevalence of obesity in every state. And so the darker the color of the state that means the higher the prevalence of obesity. And if you look at the maps from, you know, the 1980s, 90s, early 2000s up until now, you can see over those decades the maps in general are getting darker and darker and darker and obesity is spreading. Um, and so it happens on this slower scale it kind of creeps up on us and we don't realize how big the problem is and how deadly the problem is, but when we look at the coronavirus maps you know, we're going to see from day to day or week to week, some of these countries lighting up and getting darker. And even just this week, we saw California getting darker and Washington getting darker. And so I think it, it raises this cause for alarm, which I wish people would have for chronic disease.
1: And it's interesting, I think, because it's such a slow disease and we've seen it progress so Slowly, yeah. That people view it almost as part of life, right? You know, very often we hear normal. people like, "Oh, I'm going to get diabetes because my father, my mother have diabetes." It's just what happens. I think it's because that's the, their generation and they've seen that happen, and that's all they know. So they think it's part of normal life,
0: right? And it doesn't have to be that way, it right? Doesn't have to that's be that part way. Part of the the education that we're trying to change our mindset, especially the way medicine is practiced, where this doesn't have to be a forever thing. You don't have to be on these medicines forever. Let's reverse these processes because it's very possible to do that. Mm -hmm. I think one of the hardest things for me through my medical school and residency training was actually being with these patients or their families when it was too late. Mm -hmm. Being with people in the hospital after they've had a heart attack or after they've had a devastating stroke and now they can't move their leg or their arm or they can't speak properly. And at that point, they're realizing how big the problem is but it's too late. They've already had some permanent damage from it. And to me, that's the most tragic of all, because if, if they had seen, you know, 15, 20 years ago, that this was going to be their future and they were able to actually get the motivation to make some changes, you know, imagine what their future could be like. It's so hard, I think, for people to see those outcomes. Or when you have someone that's newly diagnosed with diabetes, and they, you know, they feel okay, so it doesn't seem like that big of a problem. But then you see someone in the hospital losing their leg, losing their eyesight. And and you just feel for those people because this could have been prevented, but it's it's because it's so slow in onset and it's hard to it's hard for people to, I think, realize the impact mm-hmm. that it could have on them later in life until you're actually there and you experience it. Right. That's really tragic. That's one of the reasons why. I really prefer not to be in the hospital. I prefer to be hopefully on the other side, preventing and trying to educate people and partner with people to hopefully prevent these things from happening. So amen. Amen. That's why we do what we do. All right. So let's, now that we've talked about the problem, how big it is, put it into context. Let's get into some of the details about what the coronavirus is. So can you just tell us, Danny, a little bit about the coronavirus itself?
1: Yeah, sure. So we've been calling it the coronavirus up to now, but coronavirus is a, is a family of viruses that actually includes the MERS virus, the SARS virus that you talked about previously. And it's typically a virus that's found in a bunch of different animals. Um, and sometimes these viruses can actually jump species into human beings. And it's when these species or these uh, these viruses jump into human beings that it becomes a, a much greater concern because that sets the stage for human to human transmission or person to person transmission. And this is actually what happened with the coronavirus or COVID nineteen, as we call it now. Um, it originated from uh, a um, large live animal market, we believe, in in China, and then spread throughout the world um, with uh, with the travel of human beings, really. Um, and now it's in many, many different countries. It's primarily where it's most prevalent at this point is China, South Korea, Japan, Italy, and Iran. Um, and in other countries, of course, like the United States, but those are the, the kind of hotbeds at this point. So there are several different symptoms of the coronavirus, um, which we'll uh, yeah, talk about. Yeah, talk a little bit about yeah. them. So
0: in general, the symptoms of the coronavirus are really the same symptoms (laughs) that you would get with any other respiratory virus or influenza. So these are things like fever, cough, shortness of breath or difficulty breathing, maybe some muscle aches, fatigue, sore throat, headaches, even diarrhea. And they're going to range from very mild, like maybe a mild cough or cold, all the way up to very severe. And the severe cases resulting in um, respiratory failure, needing hospitalization, ventilation, potentially even death those cases seem to be more likely to happen in individuals who already have some underlying chronic disease so just as we talked about again having these underlying chronic diseases just puts you at higher risk for being knocked down by a virus or by an accident or something else that may come your way so so, uh, the severe cases do seem to be in those who are immunocompromised in some way from another chronic disease. And
1: those are the same people that would be at risk from dying from the flu as well.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, it's in that way, it really does behave a lot like the flu. All right. So, you mentioned that now uh, the COVID-19 is being transmitted person to person. Can, so can you tell us a little bit more about how it gets transmitted?
1: Right, so again, our, our understanding is evolving every single day, but what we know now is that it is transmitted by respiratory droplets. So that can be coughing, can be sneezing, even just talking in close proximity, some respiratory droplets can land on another person and they can become infected um, with the virus. If you're symptomatic, meaning you have the symptoms that we just described, that's really when you're most infectious. Um, so if you if you don't have symptoms, um, you're less likely to transmit the virus once you've kind of recovered from the initial symptoms. Um, once you're infected, it usually takes about four to seven days to manifest the symptoms of COVID-19. That's based on some very preliminary data against a new virus. We don't know too much about it. Um, But you may have seen some quarantine recommendations for when people do become infected as far out as as 14 days. And that's more based on the data from the SARS virus and the MERS virus, because it's in the same family. We're we're thinking that's probably behaving the same way and we want to have a little bit of a buffer. So that's where we're making a lot of the observation periods um, all the way up to 14 days. But, you know, we want you to avoid getting infected in the (laughs) first place. So, Julie, what are some of the things that you can do to avoid getting infected?
0: Yes. So how do we decrease our risk of infection? So this is really, again, reiterating the same advice that we give every year for flu season for how we minimize risk of any other respiratory virus, which is transmitted through respiratory droplets. So these are things like avoiding close contact with anyone who's sick, common sense. Um, When you cough or sneeze, make sure you cover your mouth with the tissue and then throw that tissue away avoid touching your eyes, your nose, your mouth. If you do touch them, make sure you wash your hands afterwards for a good 20 seconds with soap and water. If you don't have soap and water available, using a hand sanitizer with at least 60% alcohol is important for killing the virus. Um, One thing that's really important that I think we, many people do not do a good job of, is staying home if you're sick. So especially during cold and flu season, I think it's hard, especially if you have a mild case, you feel okay, you want to go to work, you don't want to miss work, maybe you don't have enough sick days left. I think a lot of people tend to go to work and push through, but then you really are putting other people at risk for infection. So especially right now, if you are feeling sick, you have cold and flu symptoms, it's probably a good idea to try to stay home and minimize your contact with other people. Um... The CDC doesn't recommend that people who are well wear face masks. So we've been traveling recently. We've seen a lot of people in airports wearing face masks. Um, it's not necessarily recommended if you're overall well It's not going to dramatically change your risk of getting infected. Although if you are infected, that would be important to do to prevent the spread. Right now, we don't have a vaccine to protect against the virus, but there are companies that are working on vaccines and medications to try to treat the virus. Those are still under investigation. So right now, really all we're doing is supportive measures. So big question. (laughs) We've had a lot of people asking us about this recently, which is, should I be worried about traveling or should I change my travel plans because of COVID-19?
1: Great question. So The CDC has issued some recommendations for travel to specific countries because that's where the spread is the highest. And those countries are China, Iran, South Korea, and Italy. So the CDC has said to avoid all non-essential travel to those countries. Um, The United States has also issued an order where they're not allowing entry of foreign nationals who have traveled to China and Iran um, because of the higher risk of transmission there. And for older adults who... And, and also individuals who have the chronic conditions that we described previously, it's recommended that they don't travel to Japan. It's another country where there's um, a higher rate of transmission, where there's there could be more risk for those who are more likely to, to suffer severe consequences from infection. And then... Um, For other countries that we didn't discuss, um, it's recommended that you practice the usual um, avoidance behaviors for getting an infection. So making sure you're washing your hands, you're not touching your eyes, your mouth, your face, that kind of stuff when you're traveling. but at this point, those other countries, you don't really have too much of a higher risk of transmission of the virus. And that includes the United yes. States, the United States, as we discussed.
0: Although it's interesting because, you know, the CDC is saying travel mm-hmm. as usual, just right. take your normal precautions. But then a lot of companies we've been hearing, especially this week, have placed some travel restrictions right. for their employees for work-related travel. So I know Cleveland Clinic just came out and said that they wanted to limit all non-essential work travel um, really internationally and domestically and we've heard other companies doing this as well. so you know I think everyone's trying to do their part just to prevent spread mm-hmm. of the virus um, and so there's a lot of uncertainty about that. but as far as what the CDC is saying it's especially if you're traveling to places that where there is not a high degree of infection, it's probably okay just take your normal precautions right. All right. So talking about who's at highest risk, I mentioned those with chronic disease are at highest risk of developing a more severe version of the coronavirus or COVID-19. Um, but those who are at greatest risk in general are anyone who's obviously has traveled to one of these countries where there's a high um, area of sustained transmission. So places like China, Iran, Italy, South Korea, and Japan. Um, and then anyone who's been in close contact with someone who has been diagnosed with the COVID-19 virus. So obviously healthcare workers, anyone else who has had a contact and then later found out that contact had the virus, those would be people at high risk if they were to develop symptoms. Um Again, as people with chronic medical conditions may want to take some extra precautions, such as trying, again, to avoid contact with other people, staying home as much as possible, making sure that you do have the supplies you need at home, whether it's extra medications or food, so that if you do develop symptoms and you do need to stay home, that you have everything that you need um, and just, you know, washing your hands, avoiding crowds, things like that. Pregnant women are another population where I think there's a lot of question and there's still a ton of unknowns. So it's hard to really give great advice on this, but what we do know is that based on other coronaviruses like SARS and MERS, which we mentioned before, um, we've seen that pregnant women with those viruses might be at high risk of developing severe symptoms, similar to those with chronic disease. Um, And with those viruses, there has been an increased risk of pregnancy loss and some increased risk of birth defects um, when there is a high fever in the first trimester. So, you know, it's hard to say exactly with COVID-19, but with other similar viruses, we've seen pregnancy to be a little bit higher risk. So pregnant women, may want to take some extra precautions, um, definitely engaging those usual protective actions like hand-washing and avoiding sick individuals. So let's say you do everything you can to prevent infection, but you develop some symptoms, what should you do?
1: Yep. So we ask you that you call your doctor first. Um, They'll likely ask you if you've been in close contact with somebody who has the coronavirus and if you have the symptoms that we discussed about that we discussed previously or if you've recently traveled to one of the areas that has sustained transmission of the virus. If you do not have one of those two, it's unlikely that you're infected with the virus, but still call your physician. They'll decide if you need to come into the clinic or the hospital or get further evaluation. If they do decide that you need to come in, Um, We do ask you that you wear a mask. It's now a recommendation by the CDC um, when you go get evaluated because you want to make sure that you're not spreading the virus if you truly do have it to those who are in the waiting room or are in the hospital, particularly because those places have people who are already quite ill. So something to keep in mind there. Now, let's say that you do get the virus and you're diagnosed with COVID-19, if you have mild symptoms, it's very likely they'll ask you to stay home. So if you don't have shortness of breath, if it's a low-grade fever and a cough, you could probably ride it out at home and your physician will likely follow up with you via telephone or potentially via telemedicine. Make sure that you're doing okay and um, you can ride it out at home. With that said, if you have a caretaker at home, Um, If that caretaker is in close contact with you, it is recommended that that person also wear a face mask. Of course, the usual things, washing their hands, they may also want to consider wearing gloves as well. Um, It's going to be very, very important that um, eating utensils, other things that you might share with family members um, are also cleaned very, very vigorously so you're not spreading the virus to those um, in the household.
0: And in general, you know, if you are a a person under investigation or you've had some of those exposures and you call your doctor, they're going to talk you through the next steps of what to do. And so, you know, obviously you should talk to your doctor about any, any concerns or any concerning medical symptoms. So let's wrap this up a little bit. Let's just talk about in general, where we're at, what do we need to be concerned about?
1: Right. So everyone's asking, is this virus going to spread? Is it going to be a problem? More likely than not, it's going to spread. you know it's it's probably <laughs> it's
0: already spreading. It's
1: already spreading. It's probably going to continue spreading, and we're going to identify many, many more cases. But we have to keep this this outbreak in context, right? So, could it be worse than the flu? Maybe. We we don't know all the cases yet. So right it, the denominator, now. like you mentioned, could be quite large and the death rate might be quite lower, maybe mm-hmm. closer to the flu, might be less than the flu. Mm-hmm. We just we just don't know yet.
0: But again, the flu is a big problem, which I think right. a lot of people take for granted. The flu is a big problem. We talked about it. it's already in the US mm-hmm. we've had eighteen thousand deaths right. as a result of the flu this right. year. So, you know, having another flu every year would still be another big problem. It it's not be. something that we want. So I think taking the appropriate level of concern to contain the spread is important if we do everything we can.
1: Absolutely. We don't want to be dismissive of this virus whatsoever. It still, of course, has the potential to make many, many people sick. Um, the other question, is it as dangerous as the media is making it out to be? I, I think that's very, very unlikely for the the reasons that we that we mentioned above. But the risk of transmission, at least within the United States right now, is very, very low if you implement the basic hygiene precautions that we've discussed. Um, And if you do truly become infected, the risks of a severe complication if you're healthy are very, very low. Most people experience the slight cough, fever, maybe a little bit shortness of breath. Most people do pretty well um, when they're infected with the virus unless they have of course some of those chronic medical conditions or potentially if they are if they are pregnant
0: so let's really just do what we can to prevent this from becoming a bigger problem on a larger scale like the flu is um, and let's also use this experience with all of the fear and what everybody is talking about in the general news media to put it into context and remember that there are a lot of other diseases that we have a lot more control over. Mm -hmm. Speaking of our chronic diseases, we have a lot of control over preventing and treating those. Um, And let's try to approach those with the same level of concern that people seem to be having about the coronavirus right now. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much for tuning in to our first episode of Pursuing Health Pearls. We'll catch you next time. learned something from this episode and that you'll consider becoming a Pursuing Health subscriber for less than the price of a latte every month to support the podcast. Given our role as family physicians, Danny and I feel very strongly about our responsibility to remain as unbiased as possible in order to foster trust with you, our listeners, our larger community, and our patients. Therefore, we've made the commitment not to accept any sponsorship or endorsement compensation from industry. Now, because we don't have sponsors, it's only with your support that we can continue to produce and improve the quality of the podcast from this point forward. It's our intention that by subscribing, you'll get back far more value than you give. Subscribers all gain access to exclusive discount codes from companies we trust and use ourselves. This allows us to share quality products and services with our community and pass on the value of our endorsement to you without you having to wonder whether we are getting compensated behind the scenes. Subscribers also have access to our Ask Us Anything forum and podcasts where Danny and I answer your questions, as well as our morning five sessions, five minutes of movements programmed to help you jumpstart your day, and our other training programs, depending on the level at which you subscribe. Our goal is for you to get back far more than you give with these benefits, and we only intend to increase the benefits to subscribers as time goes on. Visit pursuing-health.com forward slash subscribe to learn more and subscribe yourself, Again, that's pursuing-health.com forward slash subscribe. Thank you again so much for listening and we'll catch you next time on Pursuing Health.